Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Paying the penalty. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's a full house. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, I've been I've been pretty good. Um, still getting used to, um, as I'm sure we'll discuss on the day, still getting used to the um, cycle of Premier League football. Uh, stateside, still not quite used to getting up at 25 past seven to watch a game. But other than that, um, it's all been good. So I can't really have any complaints. At least, I, at least I'm able to watch it. I think that's the main bit. That is the main bit, because otherwise your research and input might be a little difficult. But you're also joined by the returning Palace fan, Max. Max, how have you been these past couple of weeks? Yeah, very good, thank you. Uh, obviously, as Palace have been in bad form recently, I couldn't possibly come <laughs> on the show. And then as, so- as soon as we win, I now feel able to, <laughs> to return. It's a pleasure to have you back on board, as always, mate. And this week, after coming off the subs bench and giving us 30 minutes, hopefully he'll give us all 60 this week. It's Neil from the, from the Love of Paul McGrath Bit of podcast. How are things with you, my friend? Things are great. Things are very, very good. Yeah, I've passed my recent fitness test and I hope to be able to give you 60 minutes today provided I don't get sent off or something for something I say. <laughs> well, yes, let's hope you don't take an early bath or anything like that. But before we chat all things football, all things penalties, all things Abamyang, let's do the social media bits. I will be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social. So check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find it via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com. For all the tips and predictions you'll ever need, go to that website. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast. Put a dot between the R and the E. You get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go with a bit of breaking news. And one that ties in with Arsenal's win over Southampton at the weekend. Now, Matthew, the Gunners cruised to a 3-0 win on Saturday. They did so without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And after a second disciplinary breach, we don't know what it is, but that's within the space for a year, he's no longer the captain. And when it comes by setting an example, he's not setting a very good one at the moment. No, it's not. And it's got similar shades to, in, in more aspects than one, it's got similar shades to the Ozil situation yeah. of, of last year. You think... 
a player of that importance, Ozil was more on the on the playmaker side, although Aubameyang is there as well. But a player of the importance of Aubameyang and the captaincy should be setting a better example. I've been reading somewhere it's to do with, um, and again, this is one report I've read that is a bit hazy, so I don't want to put anything on anyone around now. It's something to do with when he came back from a trip somewhere. He was given time off by the club um, and he something wrong with him coming back late. I think that is the best of my knowledge I've, I've read somewhere. Um, but yeah, I think, because as you said, he had had previous uh, disciplinary issues uh, before the Everton game, I think it was. So when you have two incidents like that in such a short space of time, it does raise eyebrows. And you know, when you are held to you know higher standards like that, then it probably was going to be inevitable that you know, Aubameyang was going to have the captaincy taken off him. But I think, you know, it, it was probably a short leash anyway because Aubameyang is it's a best player captain rather than a best leader captain I think it should be said I think there are other options there. I know Arsenal fans have said that they should have Kieran Tierney um, as their captain I've read reports earlier that Ben White has been taught there are there are better options than Aubameyang who is a player I think you can make the argument is probably in his last season at the club just because of his lack his uh, lack of production um, compared to what he has done in previous seasons um, so he could well find himself out of the club this summer. So why not you know, start the transition now by taking the armband away from him? Well, Max, as Matthew alludes to, Mikel Arteta does have a ruthless streak when he needs to. You know, we've seen the fallout of Mesut Ozil, how he become kind of erased from the club, so it were. So are we seeing the beginning of the end? There's certainly confirmation that he won't be playing against West Ham in midweek. There's no armband anymore, so he's not necessarily one of the first names on the team sheet. Would it make sense for Arsenal to start looking for a new striker in January and start the process of getting the Gabonese forward out of the club? Um, yeah, I think very much the process should have... They should have been already thinking about it, basically, because um, even if this disciplinary issue hadn't happened, his his goal-scoring output is dropping. Um, you know, and kind of ironically, like with Ozil, after he signed that massive, I think, 350000 a week contract, I think with Aubameyang, it's like 300000 a week which is still, you know, obscenely a large amounts of money. Um, but after he signed that, you know, long three-year contract, I think he's only scored 10 the season after. And then this season, he's only scored four. Um, as Matthew said, he was always only really a kind of best player captain rather than a best leader captain. I think a lot of the players agree, where the fans might uh, agree w- would be another matter. But I think the players agree the best leader is Shaka, and that got taken off him. Um, but now, you know, we're seeing that Aubameyang... He he's not even worthy of being the best player captain because he, I don't think he's even the best striker at the club now. And Arteta's realising that he can play Lacazette up front and Erdegaard in the hole and Saka and Smithrow or Martinelli out wide. And, you know, is this guy um, warranting the wages that he's on? Is he warranting being captain with, with all, this, um, all these disciplinary issues? Um, so the Athletic have reported, and they're normally pretty, pretty spot on with their sources, that... He uh, was allowed by Arteta to go away, as, as Matthew mentioned, um, on a trip abroad. But he basically came back after the deadline that Arteta had told him to be back. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy with Arteta uh, in, in that case, if that's true. Because you just can't have players um, not abiding by the rules. You can't. Um, you know, you need, to ha- you need to have discipline from the club. And... Uh, you know that's even more important when you're talking about the captain because the captain is the one who sets the example to all the other players so if the captain you know goes out of line you have to come down on him kind of disproportionately hard as if um compared to maybe if it was just a, a, a non-captain because that is the person that people look up to that is the person who's on the pitch wearing the armband talking to the ref you know making a lot of key on-field decisions and if Arteta doesn't feel like Aubameyang's really you know, his man and, and, and really abiding by the way that he, he wants things done, then, you know, the split is inevitable. And yeah, I, I can really see Aubameyang uh, leaving in, in January, if not um, uh, in, in the summer, if not January. And to be honest, I think, you know, they might have been thinking about that even if this uh, disciplinary breach hadn't happened. Well, Neil, let's look at the contract award that took place last September, I believe it was in. So in terms of that... It's looking like bad business. It was always going to be bad business anyway when you kind of looked at the contract length. However, oh, Neil, you've got a lot of feedback still, mate. Neil, if that is to be the case, and the contract award they gave to him last summer, I believe it was inked last September, it's bad business. It was always going to be bad business anyway with the contract length. But you're looking at it now and thinking, 
you know, one a one-year deal. Maybe that's not attractive to the player, but really, Aubameyang has got the club banged to rights at that point, and now Arsenal are dealing with that fallout. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Like it's, I think the contract situation. I think the way that every a lot of the contracts that are signed in. In in football in general are, are are very black and white and they're very a lot of them are very player friendly you know there's not a lot of outs for clubs and stuff and no matter who you are but yeah look Aubameyang when the money was put across the table to him his eyes must have opened up wide with delight and the club were were I'm not going to say they were naive because you have to start paying big numbers when you're paying for big players and and look it was only two years ago that Aubameyang was being talked about as maybe being a uh, somebody who could come in and play along, alongside like a Messi or maybe go to you know Paris Saint Germain or someone like that, and he was in was in 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 high demand. But it's it, it's more so, it, and and it's his, not his skill level, I suppose, that's in question. It's more so his character, as you, as all of you guys have just mentioned there. But I think really that the that the world of football in general and Arsenal have had their you know they have they have had their their belly tickled by Ozil and they have had their belly tickled by by Aubameyang and it is very very reminiscent of of Ozil as well and and you know I think people need to get a bit smarter in the world of football about the clubs that the contract has to work for both the club and the player but there doesn't seem to be anything in there at the moment that allows that to work and I I know what I've said there is likely going to be controversial amongst a lot of fans that would say well the players have a short uh, a short lifespan in the game but you know at the end of the day there's there's like there is the clubs will still be there I know and there's billions and billions and billions of of uh, of pounds being being thrown into the game on a on a on a yearly basis but you know for the sustainability model of it and and and, and things like that not just uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang who Arsenal have had a a shocker in in hindsight and what they've done. I think that, that the bigger teams and, and, and even the mid, mid-range teams now who this is going to come down onto, the likes of Newcastle, even my own club, Aston Villa, you know, as they start to pay bigger wages to get better players to get into, maybe try and jump into that echelon, teams need to be a bit smarter about it and maybe have a guaranteed money system like they do in, the, like they do in US sports. And I'm, and I'm loath to bring up US sports because, uh, you know, it's, it's not an apples for apples comparison, but guaranteed money situations, club options thrown onto the end of contracts and stuff like that, specifically when you're talking about this, these huge monies. But, you know, at the end of the day, what player is going to, is going to go for that unless it's brought in at a, at a higher, higher level, players aren't going to go for that because they're going to need their guaranteed wage because their, their careers are short. So, you know, it's, it, it's always going to be in the players in the players' favor and the players' fortune when they do uh, when the club wants them to stay and when they can name their price. But uh, in this instance, Arsenal, there are shades of the Ozil contract here, whereby uh, Arsenal have kind of been found wanting again in the negotiation stakes very shortly after giving somebody uh, a, a big contract. Matthew, I know you're a big fan of US sports. Could you ever see contracts in the way that football is dealt and how they're structured? Could you ever see that kind of change take place? I think it's a, it's only really done because of the salary cap implications because there's guaranteed money and then the rest of the money is all sort of fluctuate around that. Like, so a player will agree a two hundred million pound five year deal with a uh, two hundred million dollar five year deal with one hundred thirty million of it guaranteed. Then the rest of it is like depending on if they're on the in on the squad at the same time. So I think there are some comparisons to be to be made, but I think only when and if. I do think, though, when, though, football does introduce a salary cap at, at some stage. Now, Max, we've had a couple of potential captain options put forward. In my notes, I had Kieran Tierney and Aaron Ramsdale as my two, but, you know, it could be any of this young group of players. Will Arteta look to youth and sort of in the same vein as when Cesc Fabregas was captain and sort of said, you know, here you go, make something of yourself, be an even greater player, or will he sort of hark back to a more seasoned pro? What do you think? Yeah, that's a that's a good question actually because um, I think Tierney probably has the would probably be a popular pick with the fans. Um, Ramsdale is very vocal. I, I think he's at the moment he's a little bit too rash and a little bit too raw a kind of player, if you know what I mean by that. Yeah. To, to be the captain because <clears throat> you need a kind of calming influence rather than someone who's you know winding other players up and you know, screaming with excitement after saves and stuff like that, which I love. It's brilliant to watch, but I think maybe not um, captain material at, at, at this age and at this stage in his career. Um, I think Gabriel would be quite a good shout. He's quite a vocal leader. White, I think, would do okay. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, but I've also read that um, Arteta really likes Erdegaard, and especially now that he's kind of nailing that number 10 position in the team, 
um, I think he could be an option because, you know, he is young, of course, but so are a lot of the other options that we're discussing. And he is the captain of the Norway team. Um, you know, he's obviously been in football for a long time, despite being very young, because he started, you know, as a kind of mid-teenager um, in with his Norwegian side. So, yeah, I, I can see one of those options doing pretty well. I can't see it going back to Shaka. Um, after what happened against Palace and and yeah I mean maybe Partey maybe Lacazette would be a kind of a, a short-term thing but it would be in keeping with Arteta's faith in youth um, and and you know the, the recruitment being uh, swayed that way as well if he went for a younger kind of captain. Now Neil this Aubameyang talk will obviously overshadow Arsenal's comfortable win over the Saints on Saturday and that would have been the perfect reply after they lost to Everton on Monday night. Yeah it's like <laughs> that, and, and this isn't what you want this isn't what you want when you're a club like Arsenal trying to re re-establish yourself into those positions that they, they so badly want to be back in again but yeah as you say they lost Everton 2-1 on Monday and uh, we, we spoke about that in the last podcast and then bounced back nicely on Saturday a 3-0 win against Southampton and it was a pretty comfortable win and you know Ralph Hasselhutl goes through these spa- these these uh, good spells where he's got four or five games and everybody starts talking about oh there's fantastic football going on at Southampton and just as you begin to tune in he begins to grab you by the neck they throw in clangers then for about four or five weeks in a row and we're all familiar with the was it 9-0 against against Chelsea only a few seasons ago but Arsenal took advantage of that they took advantage of a of a Southampton team that are blowing really, really hot and cold at the moment. But, um, you, you, you know, the direction of traffic happened early with, within this game. Uh, Lacazette, obviously. And Lacazette, I think, mightn't be a bad shout. I know he comes on and off the bench uh, and, and he rotates with Aubameyang. But he is their vice-captain at the moment um, it, with Arsenal. He mightn't be a bad shout and people might actually be surprised to see him be named captain. But um, he obviously opened the scoring and then... You know, Odegaard, bit of magic then, not shortly after that, that that once more. And uh, then the game was put to bed at halftime. Uh, Adam Armstrong had to come off. The Southampton looked pretty powder puff, I think, after that. And they even substituted uh, their other striker, in Borca, uh, later on in, in the game for a defender to, to try and keep it at damage limitations, I think, after Gabriel had scored. So uh, I don't think Arteta will have gained too much in a... Um, I don't think there'll be too much of too much to look back on to see what they could potentially improve on in defence or in midfield uh, from from this game. But uh, you know they got their business done early, and I think Arsenal are dangerous, and they have been dangerous like that. That when they score early, you know when they get people like Emil Smith Rowe firing, when they get uh, Buyaka Saka. Um, uh, running at defences as well. They seem to be very much a confidence team, which is not too dissimilar to, I think, Aston Villa as well at the moment. When they get going early, they're a confidence team and, and they're a team to be reckoned with. And, and and I think that's that's one of the reasons that Arsenal fans are kind of struggling to really put their arms around Arteta and to give him a big hug and, and, and embrace him massively as their manager because it is they are going to blow hot and cold. If they don't get that fast start, uh, teams can get a run in them. But if they do get that fast start, they can be, they're, they're, they're pretty impressive as, as, as the game goes on. Now, Matthew, I don't think you would have picked this up on the American edit of the highlights. Max, you might have if you watched Match Today. Why was Ralph Hasenhutl wearing a suit in the first half and a tracksuit <laughs> in the second? That is uh, an unbelievable question. <laughs> and it's one to which I don't really have an answer. Okay, Sorry. I didn't think you would, but I just I picked that up and I thought, that's really weird. Like You don't see a, an outfit change from one half to the next. So it's a bit of a, a hospital pass there, Max, admittedly. But I thought I'd better, better mention that on the show if anyone had any ideas. But never mind, because that's not the central theme of this show. The central theme is penalties. There were loads of them. Nine matches at the weekend. Six of them, I believe, had spot kicks. Some contentious, some stonewall. We're going to go through them all. We're going to pick the bones out of each of them. And, Matthew, we're going to start with you. We're going to go to Stamford Bridge because there were three on show on Saturday afternoon in West London. First up, Marcus Alonso on Dan James to get the ball rolling. What did you make of that one as the Welsh international was tumbled in the box? I think that I think that one was uh, was pretty straight was pretty straightforward. Uh, where in regards to the, the the whole again there were three penalties. I think that one was probably the most clear cut of the three. I can certainly see why the why the um, uh, why the penalty was given in that in that in that incident. Does that set the tempo for the day ahead? Where you've got one penalty early on, it's kind of the referee's got a, a C plant in his mind because three penalties is I wouldn't say coincidence, but you do kind of think yourself that's. Above average, at least, Matthew, isn't it? So is there some kind of train of thought going across the game? 
I think I think there is, but I think this is also uh, the something something that was always talked about with VAR is you know you're gonna you um, it was always like the fear oh you're gonna get eighty penalties a game or sort of thing. Well, this is exactly what we you know that that um, idea has now come home to roost. You know, with three penalties a game, I can't remember were all of them given via VAR or checked via VAR at the um, at the very least. Um, so now this could just be you know the warning that yeah, even though we have had VAR for two years one two roughly around that time it should be the it should be the warning that now okay lads we know what you're going to do in the box we are not we are not afraid to give three penalties a game so now it's up to you to sort yourselves out it's a very fair point max you get antonio rudiger part one so what did you make of rafinha's challenge on the german defender more of a scissor action this one at first it was a corner then overturned but did they come to the right decision in the end yeah, this this is a bit of a tricky one um, because I think the first penalty in this game um, was very clearly a penalty. I think the last one was clearly not a penalty, and this one is a little bit more 50-50. Uh, I think Rafinha is a bit unlucky because, as you say, I think it's the the fact that it's a bit more of a scissor challenge with both legs that does for him. If he only goes with his right foot, because he does win the ball, if he only goes with the right foot, I think it's... 100% not a penalty at all. But then the fact that that left leg is kind of trailing behind and catches Rudiger a little bit, um, is it enough for a penalty? For me, no. But I can understand why the ref has given it because of that that left leg um, coming in there. It's a little bit um, more of a, a, a of a debatable one. But I mean, yeah, not, not for me. And I'll, I'm not a fan of Rudiger acting like he's the big dog at the end and, you know, going and starting fights on people and puffing his chest out. And then as soon as he gets a little flick in the box, he's rolling around and pretending he's injured like a little, you know, like a little six-year-old fairy. It's just pathetic. Um, and and I hate I hate seeing it. Um, but, yeah, particularly as he as he likes to act the tough guy, it's, it's a bit fr- frustrating to watch. But, um, but, yeah, I think that one could have gone either way, but um, not not really for me. Okay then, Neil, you get Antonio Rudiger, part two. So what did you make of Klitsch's attempt to play the ball in the dying seconds of the game? Was this a harsh decision for the visitors, or did Chelsea get their just deserves? No, Chelsea didn't get their just deserves at all there. No way. In a game, in 91, I think, what was it? 91 minutes and 21 seconds on the clock. Like this, yes, you can talk about, well, uh, Click shouldn't have been swiping for the ball uh, for, from behind the player there. But there's no way Rudiger was was even attempting to do anything with that ball other than go down. No matter what happened, there was that, that Rudiger was going to go down. I, look, for, for me, this is, for me, I was, uh, I, and, and, I, and I'm certainly not a, a lead uh, apologist in any way, shape or form. But uh, no, for me, I would have been very, very aggrieved if this was given against my team in the 91st minute. Um, I can see why the ref has given a decision. And it goes back, I think, to what you said, or what, what one of the guys there said, apologies, I, I, I can't remember who said it. But if you start giving penalties and you want to show consistency, you have to give penalties. You know, specifically if VAR getting involved in giving penalties for 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 minimal contact in one instance, then they have to give it in another. So um, I can see why it was given, but for me, I would be apoplectic in ninety first minute if uh, if if a referee gave this decision against my team. Um, I, I would also, you know, under my breath, be cursing uh, Click is Click as well because uh, you know what are you doing when a centre half has the ball like that, taking the ball down in the box? What do you think? What do you expect him to do? He's not going to flick it up and buy into the back of the net you know he's going to either look to go down or look to lay it off to a striker specifically when you're out near the corner of the box so there was there was silliness on both sides Rudiger was always going down I think once the second he felt any touch he was going down and as we know the um, the scenes that happened at the end of the game then happened and uh, uh, the referee wasn't going to change his mind at that stage so uh, yeah yeah, I think it's fair to say Chelsea got away with one. When you look at their recent form and with Man City winning earlier in the day and Liverpool also winning at that same time, which we'll get to in just a moment, it was a big win for Chelsea in the context of the season and the context of the title race. But let's go to the Etihad now, Matthew. As I mentioned, Man City, they got the better of Wolves via a Raheem Sterling spot kick. He's 100th Premier League goal. One that came about after Phil Foden crossed the ball and Yamatinho was adjusted to handle it with his hands. Was it, though... Enough of a blatant kind of movement or action with the the hands of the ball for you to give a penalty. 
Yeah, this is something I've, this is something I've just been uh, been discussing at work. Um, just been discussing at work this week. I think it's a bit of a grey area, and the fa- and again, it's one of these where the initial decision is probably you know the the bigger uh, the bigger bone of contention rather than anything because uh, the referee, I believe, it was John Moss, gave the penalty. Gave the penalty. So again, it's got to be irrefutable, one hundred percent to overturn the sort of thing. Now, whilst you can say that it hit him on the it's, you know, I think Yamatino would say me it's sort of hit him on the back and the shoulder and just about the armpit. You can sort of say that, okay, that's not handball, but at the same time, he is making his body uh, unnaturally bigger, I think is the uh, phrase uh, that the uh, IFAB laws sort of try and dictate. So the fact that he's spread his arms out like that is just leaving that little bit of doubt that, you know, it's a big. So I think in this situation, had the referee, had John Moss given a corner that I think it probably would have stayed a corner, but because he gave the penalty, there's not, there was just enough seeds of doubt for him to say, I'm, you know, I'm 95% not sure, but that 5% means I've got to give the penalty because it's not irrefutable. So that's the reason I think so. I personally wouldn't have given, I personally wouldn't have given the penalty in the first place, but because John Moss did, then it's hard to overturn it. Yeah, good point there. I think with VAR, it only kind of confirms the decision which has been made on the field. And obviously, there is the option to overturn. But as you've said in that instance, I think if Moss is giving the handball, it's hard to then see where you then look for a different point of view. So frustrating for Wolves. But Max, I think we shouldn't overlook their frustration will also come at the other end of the pitch because they had to finish the game with 10 men. Raul Jimenez was sent off just before the interval Two bookings in a minute. Now, is that the case of the referee being pedantic or the player being rather petulant? Um, I mean, possibly a little bit of both. But I, I think, so So the one that, um, interestingly, the, the one that Bruno Large was, was, was debating was the first yellow. Yes. He had, he had no problem with the second yellow. And if you're going to say, oh, it's just the ref being pedantic because loads of people do it and, you know, often you don't get a yellow card for it, you'd think he'd be talking about the second one. I personally think the second one is just a rush of blood, just, you know, a, a really a really silly decision from the player because whatever you think of the first yellow card, the the, the next action is a yellow card and so that, that means it's a red and, and it's just a bit stupid from, from, from Jimenez, the second one. Um um, yeah, Bruno Large was debating the first one. I don't think I don't think uh, a yellow card is a wrong decision for the first one. You know, the player was breaking through. However far away from the goal it is, if you're stopping a counter attack, if you and you're kind of bringing someone down cynically, it's a yellow card. So I don't really have an issue with either of them. Um, but I think, as always, as, and as I often say on on this podcast, it's, it's all about consistency, right? Because Palace against Everton. Um, I can't remember which player it was. It might have been Ducure, but an Everton player got booked and he immediately threw the ball away or booted the ball away. And that is as petulant as standing in front of um, the free kick and blocking it like uh, Jimenez did, but that isn't given as a yellow. And so I think if you're always going to give it as a yellow, fine, that's the rule. If you're always going to let it go, fine, that's the rule. But you can't penalise it sometimes and not penalise it on other times. Because I'm thinking, well, you know, Palace could have had evidence down to 10 men in that game. Um, and Wolves will be thinking, well, why weren't they penalised, but we were? It's just, you know, you need consistency from, from the referees regarding this kind of thing. Which is the holy grail. You're never going to find consistency with referees. But if we did, I guess we wouldn't have a podcast, really, or we'd have many... <laughs> Much less topics to talk about because that wouldn't be one of them. But Neil, at the same time, looking at Wolves, that's now five league blanks in a row. Now, there's a small caveat in that that they played Liverpool Man City, so not hitting the back of the net there is not the worst. But then you look at who they played before, I think with Burnley, Norwich, the other one escapes me. But five blanks in a row, no Jimenez for the trip to Brighton in midweek. Their goal scoring plight is not going to get helped anytime soon, is it? No, it's not. And uh, while trying to keep the healthy Birmingham, Black Country, Villa, West, uh, Villa West Brom, Wolves type of uh, of rivalries up, we played uh, Aston Villa played in Pullman City as well, and we didn't hit blanks. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's not an excuse. But uh, with all jest aside, uh, and in seriousness, it it must be a a worry for Bruno because um, he has had a pretty decent start to his tenure within the Premier League. And Wolves have looked 
Wolves have looked relatively like they've they've fed their way into it at the start of the season, and they had looked like they were getting places specifically uh, with regards to their structure in midfield, um, and and obviously the the three that they have at the back are, are very much a holdover from. Um, from from the Nuno days, but it will be worrying now with regards to the striker difficulties that they're going to have because uh, uh, Traore, you know, he's he's been play, he's been played as a striker an awful lot. He's not really hitting the back of the net. Well, he's just not hitting the back of the net. It's not he's not really he isn't, and uh, and he doesn't score an awful lot of goals. And we know him from being an Aston Villa. He's power and pace player all right but you know he goes on these massive massive barren spells and and Wolves must be looking to see where they are going to get goals from and you know when they when they played against Aston Villa and they had that miraculous three goal comeback in the last 10 minutes very much that that came from their midfield and I spoke about earlier about Arsenal when Arsenal are on fire and when they're firing and getting players running at defences especially early on with Alexis Smith-Rowe Wolves really need that from midfield and Look, I know they're playing against one of the best teams in Europe, like Man City, and their their three midfielders were were parked on the edge of their area for an awful lot of the game. But if they don't have any platform in midfield, you know they don't have any platform at all, and that's that's a worrying thing for Bruno too. Uh, on top of the fact that you know he does have a lackluster strike force as well, so it's going to be interesting to see. I think that they will do business in the in, up top uh, in January. Um, and try and at least bring in somebody to try and maybe, you know, take the burden of goals off the likes of Jimenez and so on. And uh, maybe, you know, try and wait until they can get Pudence really up to speed again and, and, and those guys. And, and uh, uh, But Wolves, I think, will be will be worried. They will be worried at the moment because, uh, you know, goals win games and there's only so many games you can draw nil all. Absolutely. I mean, defensively, they're sound. I think it's, what, 15 mm. goals conceded? So less than a goal game on average, which is... You know, no dis- disgrace at all. But as you say, Neil, you can't keep grinding out these nil-nils and one-nils. You're going to get caught out to the point where you'll be mid-table because that's just equilibrium, isn't it? It doesn't show success nor failure, but it's just not enough. And I think we mentioned last week that Wolves have a lot of players who want the ball in front of them and in possession, but no one's prepared to run past them. So I know Deli Ali is now reportedly up for sale or at least alone in January. That might be the perfect destination to reboot his career. But Matthew... A quick trip to Carrow Road now, and Manchester United got some penalty fortune of their own as Ronaldo earned and slotted home a spot kick. Has Max Aaron's been a bit naive there in terms of the shirt pull? Because you could sort of say that that's probably one of the more blatant penalty discussions we'll have this week. Um, yeah, I think I think he has been naive, and I think there is also some element of Cristiano. Again, I don't, I don't want to accuse Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, of diving here. I think he has made the most of the situation i think is probably the, the best way the, the best way to put it um but yeah i do think that it is a situation i think we've said it on times before it's it's a common phrase he gave max aaron's gave the referee a decision to make um and he shouldn't really be putting himself in that situation especially given where new where newcastle where norwich um are in the premier league right now they then they need to be more disciplined and more focused on that. And they have shown some signs of promise under Dean Smith, but it's just those lapses of those you know, moments of concentration that make you think you know, that that's probably, it's probably going to be those things, you know, not just one game, but culminating across the games. Um, there's going to cost them a, a place in the Premier League. Now, Max, for what Matthew said about that penalty award, could you apply the same logic to Toro Mingzi's foul on Mohamed Salah, that it's a classic case there of the forward planting the leg waiting for the contact to happen, kind of, as we say, asking a question of the referee. Now, if you were the referee, are you giving a spot kick in that situation? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, Salah has got a bit of a history of kind of going down easily in the box, and I've spoken that about that at length. But uh, on the other hand, I also have to put my hands up and say, I honestly think it was a penalty. It was a silly foul from Mings. He didn't need to go to ground. As soon as you're sliding in the box, you're leaving yourself open to it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Neil. I think it was a penalty. Now, Neil, obviously, you're going to look at this from the counterpoint. But what did you make of that decision? Uh, I tweeted straight away, clumsy from Mings. Uh, I, I tweeted, you know, let him walk around in the box all he wants all day. I, well, actually, I didn't tweet this, but uh, this my thought process is let Salah walk around the box when he's at that angle all day long. We were we were coping well with it. Um, but 
it is something I think that the league needs to look at. At the start of the season and into last season, we were looking. There was a lot of people questioning Harry Kane backing into defenders when defenders were going up to head the ball, and it was that was dangerous. And we can understand that was dangerous. But he was getting penalties. He was getting frees for it. I think there's a lot of this, and Salah is initiating the contact there. And the, the, we go back to the VAR conversation that we had at the very, very start. And, and one of the guys mentioned that uh, that VAR was just confirming some of those Chelsea penalties because there was no clear cut, uh, clear and obvious error with regards to those. So they were going to uphold the on-field decision. So I've absolutely no problem with them upholding the on-field decision there for contact, uh, even though it was initiated by Salah. My, my, I suppose, in looking at the game as a whole, if we're going to play that game whereby you can, you know, stick your leg and 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 uh, call it protecting the ball if you want, but if you're going to stick your leg in front of the ball like that, then you should expect like the the player should have an option to 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 try and and, and get the ball off you. But look, it's 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 an argument that there is no resolution to. It's an indefense. It, it's there is no winner or, or or anything in that until a law is made and there won't be a law made. So for me, I think it's a penalty all day long. Uh, but once again, let's see those penalties given throughout every single weekend for every single club and not just for Mohamed Salah. Right, I'll stay with you, Neil, because at the other end, there was not a penalty, but there could have been a penalty. Alisson and Danny Ings, was there enough for a penalty award there, or did Alisson just get enough on the ball to make sure it wasn't? Well, if Alisson gets gets something on the ball, it's what, then what happens afterwards where he puts two hands on Danny Ings, one in his upper thigh and one in his, uh, one in his, on his legs. So, look, we're talking about strikers in the shade and contact previously. Yes, Alisson gets that touch on the ball. Danny Ings is still upright at that, st- that stage. He does start to stumble afterwards. And I don't know whether it was because Alisson put his, put his hands on him or not, but he does catch him with his hands. And for me, once again, uh, we go to VAR and you're going to be, you're going to be kind of maybe think that I'm, I'm playing both sides with this one, but I can understand why it's not given a penalty. I would have given it. I would have given it if I, if, if I was the referee and I was called over to look at it on the, t- on the TV screen like happened so many other times in so many other games in so many other stadiums, I would have given that penalty if I knew what happened. But in real time, there's no way I could give that penalty and there's no way this, like if VAR are looking at played straight through in real time, they would say there's no clear and obvious error. But what happens is that the player, and we've heard some pundits say it previously, that you don't, I actually heard this over the weekend, you don't have to make contact, and it wasn't in relation to this. They say you don't have to make contact with the player for put him off the stride into all this kind of cracking. It's for me, once again, it's just another little thing. Penalties are always going to be contentious. I think this should have been a penalty, but I think that what should have happened here is that once again, I'm going to talk about US sports. If there's a contentious decision like that, if VAR don't want to make a decision, they might say, come over here and have a look at it on the screen because there's no hard and fast rule about when they can call the referee over to the screen. It's based upon their... Um, just basically whenever they want to do it with regards to VAR. So if you have that opportunity, if you're going to implement it in some situations, why not implement it in any contentious situations like that? And then it takes all this crack out of it. I would have no problem if the referee looked it back at it and said, no, I I actually still don't think it's a penalty. I think fans then would turn around and say, you know what, that's fine. But the fact that VAR implement the, the referee come off the side and they, they don't in other situations, it's just another wrinkle. It's another, look, I don't want to bring the Formula 1 into, uh, into, into a football podcast because we could get lynched for that. But, oh. um, <laughs> you know, once again, it's, the, it's, it's people making up the rules to suit the certain situations, whereas there should just be a, a, a blanket situation. We're talking about penalties for the majority of this podcast. I think that the the, the grey area surrounding penalties, surrounding the use of VAR, are, are the main issue here, not whether the players are going to go down. Because once again, we go back at the very start, if the players know that they can get penalties for doing certain things like this, they will be absolutely stupid for not doing it. Just like Salah would have been stupid for not going down under the contact from Tyrone Mings. Short answer to your question. I don't think it's a penalty. I'm more frustrated with the implementation of, of VAR. Okay. And I did think it was a penalty, actually, at the time. I've now mellowed in the last few days <laughs> whether it was or whether it wasn't a penalty. OK, Max, from a neutral point of view here, why was it not given as a penalty? What's your take? It's, it's really tricky because in real time, I thought it was a penalty. I thought it must have been a penalty. 
But looking at the replays, I think Alisson probably just, just, just gets enough of a touch on the ball. Um, and I think there was a similar decision with, I think, Ramsdale against Everton, was it? Or Ramsdale against someone where uh, an attacker was running through and he kind of just got a nick on the ball and, and it wasn't given as a penalty. But I actually wholeheartedly agree with Neil with regards to not even looking at the um, at the side of the screen because a lot of times probably two or three separate occasions I can remember um, this season, uh, Palace have had, you know, the opportunity for a penalty. And as he, as Neil rightly says, if some, if the ref uh, had a look at the side of the pitch and he, you know, had a good look at it, thought about it, took his time, you know, looked at some replays, looked at all the angles and said, actually, no, for me, it's not a penalty. All right. You know, that's a referee's decision. But, it's just the fact that it feels like some moments slip by in games where there's a big penalty appeal and the VAR is off having a cup of tea or doing whatever whatever he's doing. And it feels like incidents aren't checked over or, or they aren't considered with the same weight. So against Leeds, for example, um, I thought that, you know, there was a credible uh, penalty shout for Palace. Uh, and it may not have, you know, been... It may not have been a penalty. It may not have been worthy of a penalty, but the ref didn't look at it at all. And then when um, Gay handballed it in the box, and by the way, I think that was a penalty, but um, when Gay handballed it in the box at the end, the ref immediately stopped everything, ran over to the side of the pitch and looked at it for about five minutes and then gave the penalty. And I was thinking, well, why are you giving their appeals for a penalty more credence? And, you, you know, you, you kind of brushed over ours as if nothing happened. So I think definitely... I wouldn't mind at all, as a fan, I wouldn't mind at all the delays, the slight delays, if the ref went over to the side of the pitch and had a good look at it, you know, for the one or two or three uh, contentious moments potentially across a game. I wouldn't mind at all if there was a little pause as the ref went to check it and then whatever his decision is, at least you feel like they've thought about it properly. Now, Matthew, I'm going to be a little bit flippant in this question, but Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United, Man City all winning courtesy of penalties. Is the Premier League rigged in any way? No, personally, <coughs> uh, no, personally, I'm not buying that. I do think there is, I can't remember who made the argument. Um, I, and I can't remember when it was. Someone made it, I can't remember. But there was the argument that the bigger sides get into the box more often because yep. they're better at attacking. So the ball is in the opposition penalty box a lot more. So by default, there's going to be a lot more action and therefore a lot more chances to get penalties. I think that is probably um, as logical enough a, a solution for me. I, pers- I personally don't buy the whole... Um, I don't buy any fix or bias things, especially after the whole uh, Super League thing. If there was any club that was in theory, any clubs that were in theory going to be punished um, and not have penalties given to them, it would have been the Super, it would have been the, the, um, the, the super League lot. So personally, I'm not buying that. Yeah, I was being a bit tongue-in-cheek there, but, you know, there's no way, really, there'd be a huge con of all these top six sides getting penalties. You know, it's, I don't think De Spiegel are ready to unravel this one. But, Matthew, let's go to a club outside the big six, although they've got aspirations to be part of that. Leicester, they bounced back to win against Newcastle on Sunday. They took the lead after a penalty incident, one that saw Jamal Lascelles take down James Madison. But the big question here is whether Madison was already in the air by the time the contact has been made. Yeah, again, it's it's another one of those tricky ones. It's similar to, similar to I'm not going to say exactly, but similar to what Jamie Vardy used to do, where when he was going part to play, he would leave his leg out so that he would uh, catch a defender. So there was obviously contact, and you know he could use it to go down. I think it was similar to what Madison did because there is there was contact there by Lascelles on Madison. It's just a case of and. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier. You know, are they trying to? Is he trying to evade contact in such a way because the the cells are stuck a leg out? Again, in the grand scheme of things, totaling it all together, I think it probably was a penalty. It's you know, it, Newcastle shouldn't have put themselves in that situation to start with because they were trying to pass it around from the back. She over gives a hospital pass, but I think in the grand scheme of things, more often than not, you probably would see that as a penalty. Again, Madison is making the most of the situation. There was contact. It's in the box. I say penalty. Max, is that something you would agree with? Because as we kind of referenced earlier, if you're going to give attacking players half an opportunity, they will take it. So is this Lascelles? putting the foot in, then taking it out, and then the contact's happened. Has Madison seen that and thought, actually, I'm just going to take my chance here, dive over and see what happens? What do you think takes place? 
Yeah, it was. This is one of the the more um, you know debatable ones. Again, I think it was a bit of a silly tackle from Lascelles. And yeah, I mean Madison does make the most of it, and there's not loads of contact, but I think there's enough in it for a penalty. It's just you know this has always got to be given, not only when it's you know an, uh, a, a super skillful number ten playing for a top six side. You know that's got to be given even if it's a, you know, a centre-back playing for a more unfashionable team, for example, Burnley, whatever situation it's in, it's always got to be, it's always got to be like that. And I think maybe Craig Dawson was a little bit of a victim of that because he's a big burly uh, centre-half um, who, you know, probably in the, <laughs> in the grand scheme of Premier League footballers is not the most skillful. And he got absolutely cleaned out by McNeil and it wasn't a penalty and I couldn't believe it. But then, you know, Madison, who's a gifted English playmaker number 10 gets much more of a slight touch and it's an immediate penalty so as long as it's consistent we're fine now Neil as Matthew alluded to Newcastle played themselves into trouble there and they've been masters of their own downfall once again that mini resurgence has been cut off at the knees they're now kind of back to square one they've got an awful fixture calendar to come up over Christmas and the new year it's kind of looking a bit desperate even with this money they're almost at a point where they can't really spend it in January because who's going to go to Tyneside that's the that's the big equation, isn't it? That they're going to have to figure out. You know, it's it's all it's it's all a wonder having all this 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 money that that is obviously being injected into the club or pr- proposed to be injected into the club. Um, but you know, you have to have a plan behind it. And there's a there's a couple of things that have been kind of strange that I've heard some pundits and some people who are not you know, some ex-players and stuff like that saying that, you know, maybe Newcastle needs to go down again and rebuild and come up and Aston Villa were actually referenced to it with regards to it. And, um, you know, I don't believe that. I, I really don't believe that. But I also think that there's been strange decisions made. You know, there's there was a strange decision made with, with regards to Eddie Howe coming in as, as, team, as, as team manager. I, I think that's a really strange decision personally, um, considering that if they are money bags, they could have gone and got... You know, wh- realistically, they could have bought out whoever they wanted or for money on the table for them. But Eddie Howe may work out for them. You know, that's it's not beyond the realm's possibility. But also, they're struggling to get their director of football that they wanted. Like Mike, Mike Lemonano has um, ha- was was reported to have been going there and then isn't going there. And I, I haven't heard anything new about who's going to come in there with their sporting director. So uh, I don't think this January is going to be the the month that they go out and get an absolute kingpin for their team because of obviously their their position that they're in. Um, but I think it's really good. Like, and they don't have much time left to go, left to do this because you mentioned the, the murderers row of fixtures that they have upcoming. But they are going to have to get their plan implemented and have it clearly implemented towards their fan base and towards the whole lot of Europe realistically before things are going to turn around there. And that's one thing I think it's very fair to say that Manchester City did early on when they did have their influx of money. They were able to get their plan out there and get the PR side of things right with regards to their plan. And I think Newcastle have a bit of ways to go to do that, albeit that it is early days for them. Um, and, and and January, I think, might come a small a bit too, too soon for them. Um, because they haven't put the platform down there of the public relations side of things and where they actually really want to go and show enough about themselves. Now, Matthew, Hounslow Town versus Watford. That might have been the easiest penalty decision of all as Truce de Kong wipes out Godos. You just don't need to make that penalty in the dying seconds of a game, do you? No, again, it sort of touches on what I was saying about, uh, about, say about Norwich. And, uh, it's one of those situations where you know, Ranieri should be instilling because even though Watford aren't totally in danger, not to the level of Norwich and Newcastle aren't in danger yet, it is one of those. It is one of those. They should really, they should really be more disciplined in that situation and knowing the situation and knowing that they could very well be dragged into a into a proper relegation battle. Um, you just, you've got to be you've got to be a lot smarter there. So yeah, I, I yeah, it's certainly certainly frustrating for. Uh, certainly frustrating for Watford and certainly even more frustrating for me, given who I support. Absolutely. Now, Max, it's one win in seven for Watford, six defeats during that same streak. Surely it's time to be talking about the sack for Claudio Ranieri. Um, maybe. I mean, no, I'm, 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 being, I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek then. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I got you. 
Yeah, um, I mean, considering the Watford owners' uh, history, I, you know, I wouldn't be altogether surprised. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's as as you say, it's probably a little bit early. Um, it feels like they're they're you know competitive in games quite a lot, um, and obviously they're they're kind of missing Foster and Goal, although Backman's been doing a decent job. They've got the goals in the team, you know, with the likes of Saar and King, Dennis, Joao Pedro. Um, they just quite haven't settled on that centre midfield trio. And also, I think at the back, they're probably a little bit suspect. Um, Danny Rose, not really up to it. Trooster Kong's been making some mistakes. Um, I think maybe when Nkulu gets back from injury, he'll be he'll be in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Ranieri's doing a decent enough job. I think just, you know, they need to maybe stop losing the games. They've lost 11 out of 16 this season, which is pretty damning. But then, you know, that said, they have won, they have won four games. And when you've got goals in your team, you've always got a good chance of staying up. Yeah, that's what we come to the conclusion last week, actually, Max, that they have got goals in the team, and that might be the thing that keeps them above the dotted line in terms of the bottom of three. However, they are shipping goals for fun, aren't they? So it's a bit of a, a tough balancing act, but when you're at the bottom of the table, you do need goals for fundamentally to sort of keep you above the uh, the choppy waters. So it'd be interesting to see what Watford do. But, Neil, what do you make of the constant managerial merry-go-round that happens at Vicarage Road? Is it something they should be lauded for, or should they be praised Oh, she's that same word. No, derided. I mean, for their chop and change. What do you make of it all? Oh, this is something I've discussed. I discussed it when Dean Smith was was being replaced at Aston Villa as well. Um, and I just, uh, when you look at it, that the what what's happening here to me and and is that Watford are acting like a team that are in the. The upper echelons of Europe, when things aren't going their way, they get rid of people really quickly to keep them in the status quo at the top of Europe and to keep them like the likes of um, Real Madrid do it. Uh, you know, teams teams in Italy, I know that the, the AC Milan were doing it there for, for, for a period of time. Man City did it. Man City did it to bring in Pep. You know, they always upgraded their manager when the opportunity arose to be able to do that. Whereas Watford are doing it and what's happening is they're not getting any further up the league they have not and they don't they don't understand the, the the concept of stability and i don't know i mentioned ac milan i mentioned some ac milan or some uh, it, it you know that happens in Serie A as well whereby managers get get a short leash maybe that is something to do with their italian owners but for me watford could really do like you can't always try and catch lightning in a bottle and get somebody to come in mid season and to keep their head above water like happened I, gosh i there's so many managers ago i can't even remember who did it was it nigel pearson can't even remember no it wasn't it was I, 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 that'll tell you. I can't even remember the manager that did it because they've been through so many managers in a short space of time. So for me, I think they're naive. I think that they're trying to act like a big club, but uh, act like maybe what Man City did or you know what, what Real Madrid of, of old would have done in getting rid of managers and, get, and getting new managers in there you know, to keep the freshness and keep the stability going. But or sorry, not the stability to keep the freshness and keep their winning going and 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 to keep their profile high. But but for, for, for what for the, what stage do you have to just cut your losses and say this ain't working? You know this isn't working. Getting rid of managers after 10, 12 games, and and when do you just maybe embrace a more uh, a more calm model of getting somebody in that will will be, be there for a while and, and, and be able to, to to implement what they want to implement. Yeah, so for me, it's... For me, I don't believe, I, I, I don't agree with it. I don't think that they can... Uh, I don't think it's a sustainable or feasible uh, model for them any, anymore to keep them in, uh, in the Premier League. Now, Matthew, last week I mentioned Marcel Brands. We've just got enough time to talk about his departure from Everton. How fundamental will that be in their hopeful direction up the table? Because when you look at his tenure... I think it's half a billion pounds spent. And when you look at the list of players that he's purchased in that time, obviously the managers have been part and parcel of those signings also. The list is far too long in terms of collective waste. We'd be here till, I don't know, 4.30, which is another 90 minutes down the line. Waste after waste after waste. They've got to get out of that habit of spending badly, haven't they? Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think they do because it yeah, Marcel Brands, whilst he, when you look at it on the face of it, you know, Everton all Everton have been investing, they've spent, as you say, Half a billion pounds. I think I saw someone like eight hundred million in a certain in over a certain uh, span of time. Um, it all it all sounds good, but when you look at the players that they bought and the mess that they've got themselves in, um, well, not 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 the mess, but the fact they haven't um, improved in the way that eight hundred million pounds or half a billion should be in improving them. You have to say that it has been a you know a failed ex- 
not experiment, but a, a failure um, of Marcel Brandt at Everton. You know, and as you say, whether or not some of it is down to the managers and the constant chopping and changing, um, some of it outside their control, um, you know, with COVID and uh, some off the pitch matters regarding some players, you have to say has to take some blame. But overall, when you are spending that much on players, you have to see some sort of improvement, and they should have been seeing a lot more than they have. So I think it probably was. Um, right for them to you know to part ways and see if they can try it again with someone else. Well, who they bring in will be certainly interesting. It was also interesting on Sunday because after beating Everton, sorry, after beating Arsenal at the start of the week, you would have thought, have they turned the corner? Is this the start of their campaign? The thrust up the table? Max says absolutely not. As Palace returned to winning ways. Now, usually, Max, for your lot, it's late goals which are you're undoing. But Sunday secured the points, and what an exceptional goal by Conor Gallagher! One that arguably. And unfortunately for you, probably puts him closer to Chelsea colours next season because I don't think anyone's sleeping on him anymore. Yeah, sadly. Um, yeah, it was two more fantastic goals from him. And it was particularly pleasing that um, the final goal came. And I don't know if you saw the build-up of the goal, but basically um, Coleman got yes, a very, yes. very soft free kick in the corner. And then Schlopp was kind of half getting in the way, but not really, not like deliberately doing it like Jimenez was. He just kind of happened to ha- have his back to it. And basically, Coleman decided to get a bit of a cheap shot in, took the free kick quickly, obviously trying to get Schlupp booked and, you know, really followed through and kind of kicked him. Wasn't probably worthy of a yellow card or a red card or anything, but it was just a bit, you know, a bit needless, a bit unnecessary, a bit of a cheap shot. Um, And then it was just fantastic that that obviously gave gave Palace the ball and, and gave Gallagher the chance to... To, to bend it in the top corner um, and 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 seal the win, which was fantastic for us. But um, yeah, you know what? Uh, the Athletic reported today, this morning, that Chelsea actually have an option to bring him back in January, Ooh. which would be an absolute disaster for Palace because he's such such a key player. Um, and I'm I'm obviously biased, but I think he it would make sense for him to stay until the end of the season um, with Palace. And then, you know, maybe see, see what Chelsea are feeling in, in summer. I imagine they'll want to bring him back. But, you know, given the injury crisis there at the moment in midfield, you know, Jorginho and uh, Kante are kind of half fit. Kovacic is out at the moment. They're playing, you know, Loftus-Cheek and Barkley and Saul. And I'm not really sure Tuchel fancies any of them. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, that, you know, we manage to keep him until the end of the season at least. If you're a betting man... Gun to the head time. Six weeks down the line, the window shuts. Do you reckon Gallico is wearing your colours or back to Chelsea's? Uh, I think he's wearing Palace's colours, but I think we've got a very, very, very small chance of keeping him beyond the summer. I think that's the right assumption to make there, Max. Finally, Neil, let's go back to you. Everton. There was booze from the fans on Sunday because Rafa Benitez subbed off Richardson and bought on Salomon Rondon. So it's not really the player coming on which is the issue. It's more a case of why take off Brazil's number nine and replace him with him? Now, obviously, Rondon got a goal, which kind of mitigates that substitution slightly. But when frustration is being circulated and is audible for all to hear, that's something that Farhad Moshiri is going to have to take notice of. Yeah, it's it's not a nice situation there uh, at, uh, at Everton. Uh, I think what happened here was that Benitez had a head scan moment. I really do. I think he went back and he looked and he went, who can I trust? Who's the guy I brought in here? Um, and just went, I'm going to make a statement and bring on, bring on for Charleston and bring on Randall. To, to me, it, it's it, like, uh, bring, yeah, bring on a second striker if you wish, but but don't take off your talisman. Don't take off your talisman. It, it did. He did himself no favors, um, Benitez there, and and it just gives it gives the fans who are calling for his head more ammunition to call for his head even louder. And as you mentioned, Mashiri isn't exactly a guy that will uh, will stand by in the wings. Um, we spoke about Watford a while ago, and you know Mashiri's rattled through the managers as well himself. You know he's no stranger to having to sit down and 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 recruit a manager uh, in his short period of time with Everton, but. You know, the rubber's going to have to meet the road there at some stage. You know, the the fans are going to run out of um, run out of uh, patience with him as well as running out of patience with managers. But you know, come on, Rafa Benitez, do your, do yourself a favor. You know, if you if you want to go to a more attacking formation or something like that, do it. And Rondon arguably justified his selection by scoring that goal, but. You know, it's it, the, there's there's more than just subbing off for Charles and bringing on Rondon. Wrong with that team, we all know it, and I think deep down the fans know that. But the ire is being directed at the manager who they didn't want in there in the first place, and 
you know, you, you got. I, I think Benitez could have been a small bit more uh, politically safe for himself with regards to the fans, and uh, he could have done himself a favor by not doing that. But you know, he's a big, he's big enough and bold enough, and he's won enough. So what do I know? He knew something better than I did. But uh, uh, it's not gonna, it's it, it's not going to um, to to do him well in the long run with this fan base. I don't think for sure. No, I think, as I've said before, that Liverpool link in the past is always going to make this job harder. Mm. And then you're sort of thinking, if you're not getting results and Everton are, what, 14th in the table at the moment, it's a really sticky situation for the Toffees. But before we wrap up things, I just need to mention Burnley West Ham played out a ball draw. That's a point which is arguably better for the Clarets than the Hammers. Of course, Brighton and Tottenham was postponed due to a COVID-19 outbreak with Spurs and also Brentford Man United has been chalked off for tonight and I don't think that'll be the only game which has that same status in December it's not looking great in the world of football with that at the moment and that is full time so now it's time to do the admin Neil a cracking full 60 there I hope you enjoyed that one and like to do it again sometime in the new year oh absolutely you know it's great to talk football um, and it's great not to just sometimes you know to come out of the come out of, come out of the fog of, As- of just talking about Aston Villa week in week out so I thoroughly enjoyed it and thanks so much for having me back again not a problem, mate. Max, a sterling effort as always. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Yeah, cheers. Cheers for having me and hopefully chat next week. Fantastic, Matthew. Thanks for wearing the captain's armband this week and a pleasure to chat to you once more. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Right, cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.